All right, Justin. Uh, sing me just an old song. An old song. Yeah, just an old song. That is so incredibly difficult. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. Ain't no love in the heart of the city. Ain't no love in the heart of town. Okay, there you go. All right, I'm not placing that song anywhere. What the fuck song was that? You don't know that song? Maybe I do. I just don't remember that part. That's what I'm saying. What song was that? I think it is called Ain't No... I think it is called Ain't No Love. Yeah, Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City. Yeah. When the fuck did that song come out? Man. Let me go back and look. I think it, it might be like 70s. I just, I, who the fuck sings it? I, I don't, that, that song's not clicking at all. On any level. I'm not, I'm not trying to dispute the, your claim of it being an old song or anything like that. I just don't recognize it at all. Um, well, it's by Bobby Blue Bland. It's kind of like a blues song. Um, but it's been covered by White Snake. I mean, it's it's had covers as well. Do I need I, to sing another one? No, no, that's fine. <laughs> I believe you. I'm just uh that, that I don't know if I've ever heard it. Ever. Or I might have heard it a billion times. I don't know. I have to play an excerpt for you then. Yeah, you get a point. I don't care that much. <laughs> uh, Heather, what about you? Um, an old song. Sweet Caroline. Bum, bum, bum. Good times never seem so good. So good. So good. You picked the most drunk white people song ever. But it's old, so. No, it, 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 it is old. It counts. I'm not saying it doesn't count. I'm just saying that is the anthem of drunk white bitches everywhere. And I mean. That is fair. And I don't mean bitches in a derogatory term. I mean bitches as in just white people that are drunk. That is the anthem. Yeah, I can't of argue people. that. I've I've seen that many a time with that song, so I am not. I could, I don't disagree. You could have the most drunken roadhouse style brawl ever going on. You play that song, everybody will stop. They'll go bum bum bum. Basically. Oh, drunk white people. Which I am not. I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm drinking seltzer waters. I'm not drinking, and they're not alcoholic seltzer waters. I know those are very popular right now. Those alcoholic hard seltzers. 
I'm not drinking hard seltzers, but I am drinking seltzers because I just think seltzers are delicious. Well, I say that the one I'm specifically drinking at the moment is not seltzer water. I'm sorry. It is mineral water. But then I also have some seltzers, too. Because I'm feeling crazy. Getting my Captain Holt on and I'm drinking some seltzers. Yes. Yeah, both of you get a point. Not an additional one. No, no, no. I'm just clarifying to the scorekeepers out there. You both received one point. Here's our theme song. Nobody knows anything but you. All right. Are you ready? Yeah. Come on. Cinema Slayers. Hey, Cinema fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling. And as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And tonight we are talking about the... Uh... I don't know what adjective or whatever I was going to use, but uh, the movie, The Tragedy of Macbeth, with uh, Denzel Washington and and Francis McDormand and a bunch of other people, directed by, if I'm remembering correctly, one of the Coen brothers. Not both, just one. A singular Coen brother. Yeah, Joel. Yeah. That one. Likely the one married to Francis, I assume. Oh, probably. I didn't know that was a thing. But now it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. She's in everything they do. So. Yeah. That makes sense. And I do like how Justin gave him a first name. Like anybody knows both of their names. And or enough about them to know the singular. I doubt their mother even knows both of them. They're just the Cohen brothers. Damn. Isn't the other one Ethel? Ethan? Yeah. Man, it's not... either Ethel or Ethan. Joel and Ethan Cohen. I think it's Ethan. People don't know the Cohen brothers by name? No, they're just the Cohen hey. brothers. Yeah, what that's what movie, I know them as. What kind, of, what kind of movie fans watch, the, I mean, watch movies or listen to movie podcasts and don't know who those two are? You're just the Cohen brothers, yeah. Justin. They are two people, yet one singular entity. The Cohen brothers. Mm. See, I'm thinking like if you're a movie fan, how could you not know them? Like, you know, if you, if you like move, if you're a, if you're a real serious movie watcher, you ought to know them. You ought to know them both. Do you know both of the Fairley brothers? Um. No, not as well. Exactly. <laughs> ah, touche. But, but the Coens have badass movies, though. Man, are you trying to say that they're better than the Fairley Brothers in some way, shape, or form, Justin? The Fairley Brothers, if I'm remembering correctly, did that great Matt Damon, Greg Kinnear movie stuck on you. Man, I'm going to have to look at the Fairley Brothers filmography. And, they and did do, do one of the most head. iconic movies ever, Justin, the Fairley Brothers. 
with something about Mary. Yep. And Dumb and Dumber. Uh, what'd you say, Heather? I said, and Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, and Dumb and Dumber. Okay, so comedies. Like, I, but see, man, I'm, I guess I'm more in the Cohen camp. Yeah, but with, you, when you, it comes to that, but it's still something about Mary. You have to have seen the something about Mary, Justin. You, you saw it yeah, like once, right? Something about Mary is pretty good. No, I'm, something I'm not about Mary about is. It's still, it's just, it's still probably just one of the more iconic movies ever, just because. Weirdly, using uh, seminal fluid as as hair gel. I don't. That's just something that almost defines a generation. Weirdly. Mm-hmm. Maybe not proudly, but weirdly enough. Because everybody had to you make know, fun of that. Oddly enough, because I was looking up what else. I knew they had some other stuff. I didn't realize that they did Green Book. <laughs> Wait, who did Green Book? Uh, one of the Fairley brothers. Is it really? Yep. Oh, man, I didn't know they were terrible racists. <laughs> right. <laughs> everything for, else was comedy except for that one. Thanks for invalidating everything I said by having them direct <laughs> the Green Book. You've got to be <laughs> shitting me. One of the Farrelly brothers did that? Yeah, looks like Peter Farrelly did that one. No one knows. By himself, so the other one didn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> And meanwhile, when you look at the Coen brothers, man, you got, I mean, as far as their directed films like True Grit, No Country for Old Men, Fargo, A Serious Man, like, what about, it's no comparison, if you ask me. Man, what about but, Osmosis Jones, Justin? Are you going to uh, deny Osmosis Jones and Shallow How? King Shallow How. One movie I do think that's underrated, they did those, me, myself, and Irene. I think that's an underrated movie. Let's see. Let's see what the Coen brothers have done. Man, you can't just IMDB the Coen brothers? You gotta separate them? And a horseshit is this? Do I not? Man, IMDb is not working oh. with me right now. Oh, yeah. And old brother, where art thou? Yeah, man. Cohen Brothers got that. This is, this is no contest right here. I think if you Wikipedia, you could do both together. I didn't know they did a serious man. Or they were at least a producer on that. You remember that iconic Michael Douglas haircut? (laughs) 
Yep, I do. Unfortunately, I do. Oh, wait. No, that's a different movie. Man, I don't even know what's going on anymore. It's a different series. Are man. you talking about falling down? Are you talking about falling down yeah, where, I'm you, where he goes down. postal? Yeah. Okay. No, that that's why did them. I think yeah. that, that was man, I'm not having a good night. I don't know. I'm insanely sleep deprived. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm going on just a couple of two tree hours. So apparently I just don't know shit. They did they did do intolerable cruelty, which I absolutely love that movie. So I just wonder why one of them co- one of the why did only one of the Coens direct this movie? What was Ethan doing? Was just Ethan sitting there going, nah, fuck that bard shit. You think Ethan said that? Probably. He looks like somebody would say that. I guess we can actually keep going with the movie instead of me just scrolling through IMDb of the Coens. A real quick um, thing on that. It looks like Ethan decided he just wanted to do other things for a while after he did Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Said that Macbeth would not have been interesting for him to do. Hmm. That Ethan coming out swinging. There you go. Just attacking his brother's movies. Hmm. Not a not a Shakespearean guy, I guess. I don't know. I think that's just a shot at his brother. Is there well, trouble? It looks like the quote is it's it looks like it's from Joel saying, if I was working with Ethan, I would not have done Macbeth because it wouldn't have been interesting to him. And Ethan. Ethan. I think there's trouble in the world of Cohen. What would be the last movie they did together then? The Ballad of Buster Shrugs? Which I never saw. I don't even know what that is. It's on Netflix. Or Hail Caesar? Or Inside Lewin Davis? And uh, now you were right though, Justin. That true group was awesome though. Just by far the superior true grit. Even my category. Uh, and um and No Country for Old Men is like a masterpiece. Like And Fargo. It was great. I mean, everybody likes Fargo. All right, yeah, let's do this episode. I don't know why the fuck I keep just Getting stuck. Stuck in the land of Cohen. Um, yeah, so like I said, we're going to be talking about the tragedy of Macbeth. Uh, we will talk about what we liked and like and everything in between. We will go spoiler free recommendations and scores and then into our more 
spoiler-centric section with time codes in the description uh, so you can jump around if you so require. I think I figured out why I was doing that. I think the song section just ended up being so quick and painless. My mind needed more. We always do more. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, My cat agrees as he rubs up against my microphone. Uh, So, uh, Justin, what are your uh, spoiler-free thoughts about this here tragedy of that there Macbeth? Um, I guess really to start, I mean, I, I mean, Macbeth is so like, I guess kind of ingrained in, I guess our, really our literary and cinema culture that, you know, you, you'd be hard pressed to have not ran into some sort of version of this, like whether you, it was taught in school and you had to read and you had to read the play or you acted it out in school or there, and there've been so many like movies about the tragedy of Macbeth. So, I mean, this is not anything that's new or, or at least, you know, me going into this film it wasn't like this was anything that I was unfamiliar with or anything like that. You know, this is material that has been covered many a times in cinema. So I guess you could say that that's probably um, a hurdle that this film has to jump is that this is not going to be breaking any new ground as far as um, people who have um, redone or reimagined Shakespearean tragedy um, stories. So there is that. But when I saw the preview for this, what I was intrigued by was the way it looked. I was fascinated by it. Like I saw all these picturesque scenes and it was black and white and it just looked like it was a great use of lighting and shadows. And I mean, and Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand, like I think that when it comes to pure acting, just pure acting. Now people have their favorites and sure you might like Chris Hemsworth because you know, he looks perfect and everything. And yeah, you might think that you, you may have your favorite actors and stuff like that, but guys, let's just get to brass tacks when it comes to just pure acting, like just the craft that is acting there are those there are those actors and actresses that really I think are top tier, and then there are just like people who you like as fans, you know. And I think that that's sometimes a fair point that's worth making. Like The Rock, for instance, I love The Rock, a huge fan of The Rock. I'm always gonna uh, like The Rock's movies. the The Rock is probably the most successful actor in Hollywood right now. Just when you look at the movies, he comes out with the hits and everything like that. But if somebody were to ask me, do you think that the rock is pound for pound, the best actor skills wise? Um, I'm not going to say that he is, you know what I mean? I, I make a distinction there. Now, of course you could go, of course somebody could then go, well, what really defines the best? Is it the one who puts butts in seats? Is it the one who has success? 
Sorry, um, I'm muted because somebody decided to go all fast and the furious next to my house. Um, you know, people might argue, well, well, can't 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 he be argued as the best because he has he's the most successful. So doesn't that just make him the best? I, I don't think so. I think that, you know, just like in sports, how you have certain athletes and you can say, OK, this person has overall the best skills of of any player playing. But that doesn't mean that that is the most successful player. Tom Brady might be the GOAT like of quarterbacks. He might be like the most successful quarterback, but there's an argument to be made that somebody like Aaron Rodgers has more skill. You know what I mean? So I think that when it comes to acting, though it's way harder because you don't have like stats and numbers and stuff, but I think it's a similar thing. And when I think about somebody like Denzel Washington, when I think about somebody like Francis McDormand, those are like, to me, skill wise, they are pound for pound. Some of the best actors like bar none, hands down. Yeah. They don't have all the box office success. Yeah. They not going to be making all the money like the rock. And I get it. The rock is your favorite. Cool. But people like Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand can act circles around people. You know what I mean? Like they on that real acting shit. So I just thought I'd say that. I just felt like a good opportunity to say that. So when I saw that they were in it, that's what drew me to this movie was the way it looked in the previews and the fact that I was like, oh, man, you know, I get to see Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand do some Macbeth shit. And like, you know, normally with Macbeth and and the Shakespearean stuff, you really have to bring it acting wise because there's a lot going on with the characters. There's a lot of layers to some of these characters and what they're doing emotionally and stuff like that. So you really need somebody capable of carrying that. And then on top of that, just the shakes, we're so far removed from the Shakespearean language and just people talking like that. You know what I mean? Like, and and the way that those uh, plays are scripted and everything. So you really need somebody that can convey those emotions. So when I saw that those two were in it, it excited me. And I think that after watching the movie, um, I think that I, my, um, I guess, you know, my ambitions or my, uh, you know, I think, I think it did live up to what I thought this movie could be. I think that it is, it's a very good version of this Macbeth story and I mean, there's been many versions, but I really like this one. Dare I say it might be my favorite one. It looks absolutely amazing. Like, like I can't get over the look of this. Like, I just love how the scenes almost seem self-contained and isolated. Like, there's not too much to look at in the background. Everything that you're looking at, like whether you're in a castle or you're in a field or something like that. It just feels so like intimate the way that it was shot, the way that the close-ups that they get with the characters, the, 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 the use of lighting and shadows, which is something that I love um, when it comes to cinematography and things like that. It's great in this movie. So it really just has a distinct look like anytime I, if I'm, you know, 
and, and and there's something to be said for movies that have a distinct look. Like if I'm flipping channels and I, and this comes on and somebody is flipping channels and you flip and they suddenly flip on the tragedy of Macbeth, I am convinced that I will know that that is the tragedy of Macbeth because it has that distinct kind of look. I'll see the black and white. I'll see the cinematography. And even if, you know, Francis McDormand or Denzel is not on screen, I'll know that it's the tragedy of Macbeth. Like, to me, that's how uh, good this movie looks. I just love the way it looked and how it perfectly captured the atmosphere at times of what these characters were going through. Um, I also like that it did stay true to the Shakespearean uh, words and language. You know, if they it, it sounded just like what I remember reading, um, whether I was in grade school or the times that I've like revisited Shakespearean um, stories and different things like that. Um, the dialogue sounds exactly like that, um, which, you know, sometimes can be a little hard to follow at times. You know, we're just, like I said, we're just so far removed from that. But, you know, I watched this with subtitles and I didn't have too much trouble. If there was something I didn't immediately understand, I don't know about you guys, but for me, reading it helped. You know, if I didn't, if I didn't grasp it right when the character said it, I could read it there and it kind of helped to uh, put it all together if I ever felt lost or if I ever missed a word or anything like that. So I was able to follow the story pretty well. And I think it does a respectable job. And then the last thing I'll say is these pure actors that I talked about, man, Denzel Washington absolutely kills this. Like when I think about people who have played Macbeth over the years, and that would be a lot of people. I think this is probably one of the best performances I've seen as, or best portrayals of this character. And, you know, if you would have told me that there'd be a movie where Denzel Washington's playing Macbeth, I probably wouldn't believe you, wouldn't have believed you. But I like that we're, we're living in a time now where we can try some things like this and it'd be okay. And, I really appreciated his performance here, man. He really brought it in this movie. I mean, every emotional step that he needed to take, he did. There there are scenes where when Macbeth is going irate and angry and uh, damn near going mad, consumed by guilt and everything else, man, you re- Denzel, to me, really captures all of that. And he just did such an excellent job. And like I said, this is one of those movies where it relies on pure acting. You know, there's not going to be any special effects to help the acting or the facials or anything like that. You know, this is really one of those movies where the camera just closes up on the character and it is up to that actor or actress to do what they need to do. And Denzel Washington just kills it. And um, Francis McDormand was great here, too, as uh, Lady Macbeth. So, yeah, all in all, I enjoyed this. I think it looks great. And it's probably one of my favorite cinema adaptations of this story. Uh, Heather, what about you? So I'm actually going to come at it from a little bit of a different um, perspective as far as my knowledge of Macbeth, because I never actually read Macbeth in school. I don't know if I can blame like my school district for that or what, but like 
I know we read Romeo and Juliet. We read, uh, we read Hamlet, but, um, somehow just kind of missed the Macbeth train in school. Um, I mean, I knew like details of the story and some of the characters, but this was actually my first time experiencing like the entire story of Macbeth. So, um, I mean, I think I could have done a lot worse as far as my exposure to it, (laughs) but, um, you know, and, and even the movies and other films that have been made about it, I just somehow never watched them. I just somehow missed those as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I will say like in general, I'm not like a Shakespeare fanatic in any sort of way. Um, like, I mean, I definitely realized his influence and obvious talent, but, um, kind of like what you mentioned, Jason, like I do tend to get a little bit easily lost in like the poetic language sometimes. Um, I mean, it sounds beautiful. Like even when terrible things are going on, (laughs) they like put it so beautifully, (laughs) but, um, it's just kind of hard for me to track it. Um, I think you're right. Like doing it with subtitles was definitely helpful for sure. Um, but I mean, it's, it's just, it was a little bit hard to track some of what was actually being said behind the, the beautiful poetry of it. Um, like I would get the gist of scenes and conversations, but trying to fully grasp what they were saying took a little bit of work for me. Uh, so I feel like in that regard, it kept me a little bit from fully like leaning into the characters and their motives as much as I think I would have, if it had been, you know, maybe a little bit more straightforward in the dialogue. Um, if that makes sense. But, um, I mean, in some moments I would, that's fair. Yeah. Like I would still be like processing what's being said. Um, but because, you know, it also kind of moved pretty quickly, this movie, by the time I kind of processed what was actually being said or meant by something it had moved to the next bit of dialogue. So then I did have to rewind it a couple of times to fully get what was going on in some of the scenes. Um, but the story itself was very intriguing. Um, and honestly, I was fully captivated the whole time with what was happening on screen. Um, definitely. I think the most incredible thing about this is the artistically beautiful and just incredible visual treat that it was like it is an absolutely phenomenally looking movie it's just beautiful and super cool and you're right it is very distinct I think that that's for a long time to come honestly you would be able to pick you know do one of those trivia games where you're just like what scene is this movie from and you would know like it's just got that very specific style about it and um I think it was really incredible like you it would be really hard to find um just a, such a visually pleasing movie as this like it really was one of the most visually stunning things i've seen and it is very simplistic but also just really good like it's just a a very fine perfect line of that simplicity but also the dynamics of it at the same time um but yeah i mean and also of course you know, top-notch acting from everyone. I mean, that's not really a surprise. I think that some, like certain performances kind of stood out to me a little bit more than others, but that probably has um, like more to do maybe with the characters and how they're written and portrayed more than anything else. Like definitely not a lack of talent on any front there. I think um, Catherine Hunter, who plays the, the fates or the witches, absolutely blew me away just from that oh, very opening scene 
It was oh, just that was amazing. That was amazing. It was insane. It, she was so fantastic. And she's the one who gripped me into the story from the very, very beginning. Um, so I just I think she is not getting enough credit in general as an actress, if that's what she's capable of. <laughs> but um, also, I think Corey Hawkins, who plays McDuff, stood out to a lot to me, too. Like, I've, I've always kind of been a fan of him since I've been seeing him and stuff. But I just really enjoyed his portrayal of this character. Um, I mean, and of course, Denzel and Francis. I mean, that's a given. That's definitely, you know, there's there's no denying their talent and what they were going to bring to this. Even if you didn't see it, you would know it's going to be amazing. Um, I would argue though, that I think at least for me, um, Francis McDormand, I think actually, she actually, I think shined and stole the show a little bit more for me than even Denzel did, which is really hard to do because it's Denzel. But I just think every just little thing she was doing, whether it was her movements or her expressions or just how she was delivering her lines and how you just kind of see her going crazy a little bit, you know, just something about it was really intriguing. And I actually would argue that she's kind of the most standout to me as far as performances in this one, which is hard because they all are very, very good. So yeah, I mean, that's obviously not a knock on Denzel. I mean, he, like you said, he can act circles around almost anybody, you know, (laughs) but I do think that I mean, there were just some really other great performances that kind of brought to that same level that Denzel usually always brings, you know? So, um, yeah, I just, I think it was really phenomenal acting. And I think, like I said, I mean, this being my first exposure to the full movie of Macbeth or the full story of Macbeth, I I definitely could have done a lot worse here. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm not complaining in the sense of like, if, yeah, I think if there was a version of it, I would have wanted to see this is definitely it because even visually it kind of takes you into that world of what's going on and it's really cool. So, yeah. First things first. Uh, the The movie's beautiful as fuck. It's, it's the definition of a perfectly shot movie. Like every detail on the screen is just utterly and meticulously thought out. There's just not a wasted like piece of imagery in this movie. And it's weirdly it's 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 visually dense if you will there's just it's it's very packed when it comes to imagery and stuff like that and i don't necessarily mean that in a bad way I just mean that there's just it's a lot but i mean can we can we stop making macbeth maybe there's been like 15 of them made in the last 20 years. <laughs> like I forgot. It might be the 50 and 40 years. <laughs> yeah. I'm, 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 I'm going better. back to just 2000. I'm just going yeah, back to 2000. There's been so many Macbeths. You go all the way back to like 1940 something with Orson Welles. 
if I had to calculate, there's no less than 1,000 Macbeth movies. Just <laughs> so many Macbeth movies. I even forgot there was a Michael Fassbender Macbeth from like six years ago. Yeah, like 2014 or something. Yeah, 2016. That was probably good too. 2016. And it's got Michael okay. Fassbender. And I didn't see that one. Marion Cotillard and all that shit. Like it's got acting talent in it. You know? It's just. Yeah, can we stop doing Macbeth? Like, my issue with this movie is that, like, this spectacular imagery and acting is just wasted on just Macbeth. And I get it's an iconic story. It's, I mean, it's lasted centuries, but like, fuck, it's been done so many times. And like, that's, it just kind of makes it a little boring. And I'm not saying that the movie is boring. I'm saying at this point in my life, I'm I'm 36. I read Macbeth in high school. I've seen Macbeth a billion times. It's, it's, it's a Macbeth. Like, we get it at this point. It is the year 2022. Macbeth came out in what, like the 15, like 1563 or some shit. Can we get another story? Just another one? Something like I'm kind of just tired of Shakespeare bullshit being a thing that's like a litmus test for what is like art, if you will. Like, no matter what's going on, it's like, oh, but have you seen this done, you know? At this theater, you know, or what is it? Uh, oh, what is the place that William Shakespeare is supposedly from? Like Stratford upon the Avon or something like that? Anyway, it's just, I don't know, we get it. But so, like, I kind of understand whenever you were talking about that, that Joel Cohen quote. They're like, oh, you know, Ethan wouldn't have wanted to do this because he would have been like, wouldn't have found it interesting. I kind of get it. Yeah. Because it's, it's, you know, Macbeth. Again, it's not like you're changing Macbeth. I get it. You can't really change something that's like that. But, you know, it does Macbeth things the whole time. The same Macbeth things. That all the Macbeths have Macbeths before it. But then at the same time, like. I guess that's why you would choose to do Macbeth and do it this way visually, because, you know, you can just kind of put the movie on autopilot a little bit because, you know, it's Macbeth. You don't got to really worry about most of the shit. Because, you know, you just got to do the Macbeth shit. So then you can spend your whole time just crafting the visual aspect of this story. Or this movie, not the story, this movie. So maybe that's why you do it. So you can be kind of lazy with it. As far as like story and shit goes. Like, it's also kind of weird. 
the like the tragedy of Macbeth, Joel Cohen and William Shakespeare get writing credits. But like, really, really, Joel, did you really write anything? Really? Oh, I didn't realize that. Because you know, yeah, it's still very much. I don't know, Macbeth, and 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 also like you know, because I'm not like a you know an expert on Shakespearean literature or any of that shit. Like, I don't know. Maybe they changed some of the you know Macbeth shit, but I don't know. Just kind of sounds like a bunch of Macbeth shit. Which also, weirdly enough, well, not weirdly enough, just also sounds like a bunch of Hamlet shit. Which also sounds like a bunch of Romeo and Juliet shit. Which sounds like a lot of, you know, Midsummer's Night Dream shit. You know, Shakespeare shit. It's just... Couldn't we have done something different? Just something. But then I kind of get some warm fuzzies with it because, you know, like Justin said, like, when did you ever think you get to see Denzel Washington doing some Macbeth shit? Yeah. So that was cool. But then you're like, I don't know, it's still Macbeth shit. Like, it's the same fucking story, pretty much word for word that I read in high school. So it's a very, very tumultuous movie for me. It's as great as it is visually and all this other stuff. I just find myself struggling to really invest myself in this. You know, this movie's kind of going on and I find myself kind of thinking about how there's actually a big debate nowadays whether or not William Shakespeare ever existed. And that they think the all these works that are attributed to William Shakespeare are actually probably like four or five different writers. And they just, you know, to get... Interesting. Yeah. That's infinitely more interesting to me than, I don't know, more Macbething about it on the screen. But then it is just one of the most stunning visual presentations you'll ever witness. Like, I kind of wanted to be upset with this movie for kind of being uppity and being all black and white and pretentious. Because I feel like that's the only reason why movies are black and white nowadays is to be pretentious about it. But fuck, it does some really good shit with it. Like, it doesn't feel like it was black and white for the sake of quote-unquote being like an art house movie or some shit. Or that they were just too lazy and they didn't want to color balance a movie. So they did it in black and white. Or, you know, like something like that. It felt like they actually thought this movie out with that. Because they wanted to play like Justin was saying, especially with lighting and shadows which is just kind of heightened and, you know, enhanced by being in black and white. Man, I love that. Man, it just pushes my buttons. 
the visual enhancedness of the black and white in this movie that pushes your buttons, Jaston. Mm-hmm. And the shadows and the lighting. Yeah, it's great. It's some great shit. Yeah. But I mean, this is, let me put this movie in a, like in, in a different context. And I think this might really help some people out here to like really understand what I'm saying. Cause I don't think I'm being clear on it. So like this movie to me, it's kind of like the Dallas Cowboys this year. Had had stats. No. Had some good shit. It was some flash. You know, they look like they can make a run. Look good at times, like really good. You just kind of thought they needed to put, you know, just kind of get it all put together for one game. And then, you know, you thought you might start getting that shit based on the last game of the season. Now I know the Eagles sat a bunch of their starters and shit, but like, man, they still went out, put 50 points, look good. Looks like they're getting hot at the right time for the playoffs. And then you get to playoffs and it's still just kind of the same shit. You know, it's still cowboy shit. Just losing in spectacular fashion. Being the only home team to lose on Super Wild Card Weekend. Just normal cowboy shit. You know, they went out there and Adam paged just cowboy shit. And that's this movie. As great and as flashy and all this other stuff as it is, it's still some Macbeth shit. Still just Macbething. In the end, no matter what else they did, this movie's Macbeth. Kind of like the Dallas Cowboys this year. No matter what they did. In the end, they still just the Cowboys. I think that's just kind of the most apt way to talk about this movie. Cowboy metaphors. Because it works. It works so well. And it makes Justin a little bit sad at the same time. So it's like a twofer. I don't know. I'm done talking about it now. And spoiler or the non-spoiler. Can you spoil this? It's Macbeth. Like, what is there to spoil? It's fucking <laughs> Macbeth. I get, I get Heather. You somehow went to a shittier school district than the Midland Independent School District. And you yeah. didn't read Macbeth. I get that. I don't blame you. But somehow you went to the one school district in Texas worse than the one that me and Justin grew up in. And somehow didn't read. Which was bad. But like, it's Macbeth. Like, it's, I guarantee you've seen. Because like I said, I even knew the characters, you know what I mean? And like the gist of it, because it's so well known, you know? Yeah, you, you, you still know the themes of the movie. You've seen Macbeth before, right. just done in another form. You've probably seen some episode of some Disney show where they actually crafted the whole thing around Macbeth or something. <laughs> like, it's still, it's just Macbeth. You've seen it still. Like, so what is there to spoil? You know, like, it's literally the same story that has been told for, like, what, 500 plus years almost or whatever? 
it's kind of hard to spoil a 500-year-old story. I'm just saying. Like, how do you spoil Shakespeare? And how do you, like, it's like, it's right there with the Bible. How do you spoil that shit? You know, like, everybody gets the gist. We all know the stories. You know, it just weirdly reminds me, though, of a, of a trope I hate in movies and TV shows where the, the, how they showed that somebody's the dumb kid is in school or whatever. They'll be talking about Romeo and Juliet. And then they're like, I get it. They fall in love happily ever after whatever. And then they always go, actually they died in the end. And the kid always goes, what? Right. They've been like doing that trope for 60 fucking years now. Right. Like, and it drives me nuts because like everybody knows the story of Romeo and Juliet. And I get that that's supposed to be the joke. But it's dumb. But I say all that just to (laughs) talk about the fact that it's Macbeth. Like, it's. I should say (laughs) that. Yeah, the funny thing is. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Heather. Well, the funny thing is, um, one of the things I remember most about the story of Macbeth is um, one of my old English teachers talking about, I guess, someone who I think maybe for like a summer reading or something chose to read Macbeth from the list. I don't know. But they um, they gave this really amazingly written report on the book but had clearly just watched the movie because there was some like big scene that happens in the movie. That's not in the book. And so she was like explaining to us like, guys actually read the book. Don't just watch the movie. So that was one of the biggest things I remember about (laughs) Macbeth is that they were like, this is the most amazingly written report, but you fail because you didn't actually read the book. So. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes the movies add some battle sequences at the beginning and stuff. Stuff that's kind of talked about and hinted that happen around the story of Macbeth. Sometimes movies add that. But. I mean, the, 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 I almost feel like even if you know, if you don't know the story of Macbeth and you know the title of this movie, you kind of know the ending of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't think anybody at any point is reading the story or watching the movie and going, man, he's the king of Scotland now. Man, going to be a happily ever after right there. (laughs) Hence, tragedy (laughs) of Macbeth. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, is it not the most obvious fucking thing? Like, Sure, this is a spoiler, whatever. Isn't it not one of the most duh things in a movie ever? Think Macbeth is gonna die? Like, right? I just think if you just even pay a modicum of attention to this story, it's insanely obvious the motherfucker is gonna die. I mean, technically, they tell you that in the beginning of the movie with the witches. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, recommendations and scores. Let's move on because I still don't know what we're going to do for a spoiler section. I really don't, but recommendations and score. 
Uh, Heather, go. I mean, yeah, and again, because this is my full first exposure of the movie as a whole, I, again, I could have done a lot worse as my first viewing of it as a film. Um, and again, uh, for the visual amazingness and how cool this movie looks alone, it is totally worth the watch. Um, yeah, I mean, and the acting performances, of course, too. Like, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be one of those, of course, not surprising, like we said, because if you know the story of Macbeth or even parts of the story of Macbeth, you know <laughs> things that are going to happen. But um, just it's so visually cool. Like, that's really probably my favorite thing about this movie is just how visually amazing it is. Um, and it, you just don't want to miss it. Like, there's some really, really great stuff there. So um, for that alone and for the acting. Yeah, I mean, sure, I recommend it. I mean this is also coming from someone who has not seen a million other versions of the movie. <laughs> so that could be different for other people. Like if you have seen it and you're tired of it, maybe it's not going to be your thing, but um, I do think it's worth it just for the performances and the visuals. So yeah, um, I'm going to give this uh 70 crowns being thrown to the ground after a beheading out of a hundred. Uh, Justin, what about you? Yeah. And it's funny because that you were saying that this kind of reminds you of the, of a sports analogy of the Dallas Cowboys, because the funny thing about that is, and I, and I don't know, I I think maybe a lot of that was just, uh, you trying to get under my skin because you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm kind of hurting right now. I stand behind every word I said. (laughs) <laughs> but but honestly, for me, when I think about Shakespeare and I think about this movie and everything like that, the the football analogy that sort of Ooh, comes on. to mind. I just want to see if I can guess it because I think you're going to say a team. Yeah. I've got two in mind. It's either going to be Detroit or Cleveland. Man, you're thinking so pessimistic. You're thinking way too uh, pessimistic. I was actually going like, if I was thinking of maybe a sports player, I was thinking maybe something like a Tom Brady. Or if I was thinking about a team, I was thinking about the Patriots. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. You're leaning more towards something, something else, I think. But what I'm leaning towards is, it's like, it's just like it, it continues. This kind of stuff kind of continues to defy time. Like there's this, you know, and somehow it, it keeps on reimagining itself and coming out in different ways and filmmakers continue to adapt it and different things like that. And it just finds a way to stay relevant. And I think that there, it's always going to have the, the, the side of the public and especially like movie watches and stuff, because let's not make any mistake about it. It is very highbrow. You know what I'm saying? It's black and white. It's got the the the, the dazzling 
effects and everything like that. And it's Shakespeare and they didn't try to do anything to the dialogue. They, they stay true to the poetic dialogue of the original. And it's really just kind of an acting tour de force and different things like that. And for some people, this kind of stuff is highbrow. Like it's kind of something that, that, that some movie watchers, they kind of scoff at it because they think it's Hollywood feeling self-important or trying to put value on this. And it's really just kind of the same material every time, or they're like, you know, that they keep this stuff relevant, but it's, it's really Hollywood sort of, or people kind of putting themselves on a pedestal and stuff like, look at us, we're doing Shakespeare or something like that. We still respect the classics or whatever the case may be. I think that with some Shakespeare stuff, it kind of carries that stigma. Like it keeps coming out and people just sort of have that viewpoint of it. And when I think about like the Patriots or Tom Brady, I think that sometimes like people look at that the same way too. When they were winning all these titles and championships and stuff like that, you know, there are these sports um, analysts and people and stuff like that, that will always find the Patriots or Tom Brady relevant because of what they continue to do. But then there are those people that are like, but look, but what about all this other stuff? You know, there's controversy surrounding them and the deflate gate and all this other stuff. There's all these other different storylines that surround that stuff or, or like Tom Brady, for instance. But I mean, you know, but even at 44 years old, the guy continues to be relevant, continues to win, continues to even on another team, kind of like how this has another director and another artistic vision, but it continues to find its way into relevancy. And I think that there's something to be said for longevity, you, you know, whether we like it or not. The, one of the hallmarks of being great is longevity. And this stuff <laughs> finds a way to, to, to stay alive. And I think that there will always be people that kind of hate on that or kind of look at it and go, man, haven't we seen it? You know, haven't we seen enough of it? Okay. Enough is enough. Or it's just Shakespeare again, or whatever the case may be, you know, it's Tom Brady again, winning another championship. Oh, the, the Patriots are winning again. Oh, everybody's going to have to start talking about him again. But there's something to be said for that ongoing success. And that's why I didn't totally, I totally did not see the Dallas Cowboys when it comes to this analogy. Because if anything, to me, the, the Dallas Cowboys are, is kind of, they're caught in this rut of ongoing failure. I don't look at them and see them as something that is defying time or something like that. I look at this completely different when it comes to Shakespeare and stuff like that. The Shakespeare stuff isn't coming out and failing. If anything, just looking at this movie, it's coming out and people are reinventing the way we look at it, you know, casting somebody like Denzel Washington or giving it this kind of artistic flair. And I mean, yeah, you may not like some movie fans out there may not like the highbrow stuff. They may think, oh, this is kind of self-important and all of this kind of stuff. But man, the truth is, man, is some of that sometimes that highbrow shit is tight too. like 
you know, I mean, that's just the 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 fact, and I think the truth of it. Sometimes that highbrow shit is highbrow because it is up there. You know what I'm saying? The acting is that damn good. It, the the cinematography is that damn good. The material, in this case, the Shakespearean material, is good enough that it has lasted this long just in our society. So I think that there's something to be said for that longevity. So for me, I enjoyed this. I thought that it was a very interesting take on this story. Um, And even though, yes, for the most part, the plot and the story is the same, which is why I can't give it like a, a, a ridiculously high score because yes, you are getting the pretty much the same Macbeth story, but Everything else about it, the way it looks, the the casting, the acting that was done in this uh, made me enjoy this, even though I am one of those people who has seen several different versions of this and has read and known about this uh, since my high school years. And I think there's something to be said for that. So with that being said, I'm going to go with 90 um, me having random thoughts about Harry Potter out of a hundred, because I did not realize that when the witches were doing the whole boil and bubble, toil, trouble, something wicked this way comes, I immediately started thinking about that Harry Potter preview or when the choir was singing boil and bubble, something wicked this way comes. And I was like, Oh, they got that shit from this. And I don't know why yeah. my head just randomly exploded on that. But, I, you know, it took me years. It took me to just now. But I finally put two and two together. And that that made me smile randomly while watching this movie. There's more so, yeah, there it, you Jackson. go. There is. There's more to it. Really? Uh, why that would remind you of Harry Potter also. Uh, the woman that played the witches was in Harry Potter. Also. Oh, yeah. Sure was. She played the squib that saw the Dementors that uh, chased after Harry and Dudley. Hmm. And testified in front of ah. Umbridge and shit. Good call. Good so, call, sir. Speaking of Dudley. Yeah, Dudley himself played the Duncan's son in this. Uh, Duncan hmm. played Mad-Eye Moody in the Harry Potter movies, yep. right? When that, I don't know, but there's a ton of people from Harry Potter I think in this it was. movie. That's what, that was my point. There's a ton of Harry Potter people in this movie. Um, so yeah. that's all. That's all. That, that was my point with that. I'm I'm in a brain fog right now. Heather, did you go? Yes, I no? did. Yeah, I gave okay, it a seventy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. That's I, I. I. In my head, I was like Heather gave it a seventy. But I don't remember you saying any words. I'm so sorry. Yeah, mine was, that was ridiculously long <laughs> for just a recommendation. No, like I said, I'm super fucking tired. So I, I don't know what's going on anymore. But also, Justin, I, I think you were selling the Dallas Cowboys uh, short by acting like their legacy over the last, like, what, 26, 27 years of... Being great in the regular season and just finding new and fantastical ways to blow it in the playoffs is is a tradition too. 
I think that that's right up there in a dynasty type of situation as the New England Patriots. So I'm just saying, Justin, don't don't sell your guys short. I, I hate you. I think it's just a different kind of legacy because somehow, Justin, you know how you were talking about the Patriots, like people hate them because they just be winning. Like, I think it's funny, like the Cowboys kind of have the weird opposite way of stuff with that, because somehow the national media or the national sports media constantly thinks Dallas is going to do something every year. Constantly. <laughs> like it gets to the playoffs and they're like, yeah, this Dallas team has put it together this year. This is the year. And they just fail every time. And then the, the media acts like they're surprised by it in a way. Like, if we just look at this past weekend, I mean, name one thing in that game that is not just a typical Dallas Cowboy or Mike McCarthy type of fucking game. It's It played out exactly like it would. So I think you're just selling your team short, Justin. I think that they have a, a rich history and tradition, just like Shakespeare. Um... I guess the reason also why I was going pessimistic with stuff is because I am just thinking kind of more of just Macbeth. Um, so that's why I think I was going pessimistic is you were kind of alluding to Shakespeare as a whole or the tradition of Macbeth. Whereas I was going for the actual just story of Macbeth. So that's why I picked Detroit or Cleveland. Because they are kind mm. of the Macbeths of the NFL. Just no matter what, just they're tragedies <laughs> and tragedy. Okay, okay, they're tragedies. Okay, yeah. I see what you're you were going. Okay, yeah, I thought you were going. Okay. Like I said, I thought you were talking about the story of Macbeth and not the tradition or history of Macbeth. So uh, okay, I was like, I don't know. I mean. I don't feel like I was going pessimistic. Like Macbeth gets his head cut off. Detroit gets its head cut off every year. I think that that's very <laughs> apt. <laughs> yeah, we were doing a macro micro thing there. Yes. But yeah. Yes. I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, as much as I'm tired of Macbeth and all this other shit. Yeah, you should watch it, though. It's a very pretty movie. It is so pretty. So it does have a reason to watch it. But then in the end, I think you're only going to watch it once. I mean, there there will be people out there. Sure, they'll watch it multiple times, whatever. But it's still just very much a, yeah, sure, watch it once type of movie because it's just spectacularly beautiful. But in the end, it's Macbeth. It's you're just going to see some Macbeth shit happen. So, you know, just be prepared for that. Uh, but um, when it comes down to what you were talking about, though, Jess, with like the history of like all the stuff, and there's a reason why it sticks around. I mean, I don't know. I get why you say that, and I don't necessarily agree with that, like completely disagree with what you're saying with that. But like, 
I'm not going to lie with something like this. Shakespeare to me at this point in my life just kind of reminds me of something like Gone with the Wind. People just saying it's great because for years they said it was. Not necessarily because <laughs> it is. I, I just feel like, you know, there's better stories nowadays that we could tell or different, not, not better, different. There's different stories we can tell. And I think more importantly, we need to tell different stories. We need to quit telling the stories of a fucking dead ass white man from the 1500s. There is nothing like less relevant in my life than this man being dead. Like, I don't care. Like, I want, I want new shit. I want new stories. I want different stories. I want other people saying shit. Not this fucking guy that we may or may not have actually a, even been real. We don't even technically know for sure that William Shakespeare was a real man. We think he was. But there's nothing definitive that clearly states that he was a real person and not a conglomerate of writers just publishing under that name. So, so the, the, like the, the mystery and allure of William Shakespeare, like how could one man write all this great shit and all this other stuff? Yeah, it could all be fucking old wives tale bullshit. Plus, I think I'm also fucking tired of William Shakespeare because I'm tired of pretty much any high school movie from like the 90s feeling like they needed to be like, hey, you know who was a dope rapper? Bill Shakespeare. And they like fucking say some monologue from fucking one of his bullshit plays or something. And then there'd always be one kid like, oh, man. I didn't know Shakespeare was that cool. Whatever. Fuck off. Oh, no. Yeah. I know that's kind of a hit directly at you, Heather. Because, you know, 10 things I hate about you. Directly doing day that. And also being a yeah. modern day retelling of it. Of Taming of the Shrew. But still. We've all seen that type of shit. And it's fucking tiresome. And it might, you know, Will shakes. And it might be, it might all be bullshit. That's my point. Because I think that that's one reason why people hold on to Shakespeare is because of the legend of Shakespeare. And it might all be bullshit. This might have been written by fucking a guy named Tom. Just Tom Smith. And just have nothing to do with this other shit. You know, like, I think that that has so much to do with it. And I think it's one of those things where it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways, because, which is ironic I say that, because that's kind of the whole story of Macbeth, of essentially being a self-fulfilling prophecy type of thing, being obsessed with prophecy, being your downfall and all kinds of stuff. I get it. It's ironic, whatevs. But like, 
I think with this stuff, the reason why people nonstop always say, like, Shakespeare's the best, it's the best, it's the best, is because they aren't willing to give other shit a chance. Like, they'll just, so, like, nothing else could be better. Like, by not allowing the possibility that maybe something's better than Shakespeare, means that no matter what to them they're always right because it's not even possible it's kind of like people with mj you know like you know they're like nobody will ever be better than mj and so they'll keep sliding the goalposts you know well talk to me whenever lebron does this or talk to me when this person does that blah blah you know they, they always end up adding criteria as you constantly go you know, I mean, it took Tom Brady winning seven goddamn Super Bowls for people to finally maybe consider that he's better than Joe Montana winning four. He had to win fucking seven. That's absurd. <laughs> and it's all because he lost at some, he lost some Super Bowls. It's like, oh, well, Joe, Joe Montana never lost. Tom Brady, what, he's lost, what, three, four Super Bowls? How many has he fucking lost? Holy shit. I lost two to the Giants, one to the Eagles. Did he lose another one? I feel like he lost another one. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But either way, say he lost just the three, and I can't remember the fourth. That still means he went to 10? There are how many thousands of players from the NFL who have never been to one goddamn Super Bowl? Yeah. And Tom Brady went to 10? To 10. Who gives a fuck if he lost three? He still won seven. And it took yeah. him winning seven. Why are you seven? getting penalized for getting there? Yeah. Why are you getting penalized for getting to the Super Bowl, that should be a point towards you, not penalized. Because even though Joe Montana's undefeated at the four he went to, what about? So that means that there were all these other seasons where he didn't go at all. Yeah. How come that doesn't count more against him and less for Tom Brady? You know what I mean? But oh, exactly, man, it's sports. I mean, <laughs> but my my point is though is it's like Tom Brady. Has one more Super Bowl, has more Super Bowl rings than technically any other team. Than any team has Super Bowl rings. And it took him doing that <laughs> for finally people to go, you know what? Maybe this cat's better than Joe Montana. Maybe. Like, fuck. And it's just, that's the way I feel about Shakespeare. Is to so many people, Shakespeare is MJ. He's Joe Montana. He's Citizen Kane. Uh, Babe Ruth. I don't know who's some other, someone else. I don't fucking know. But like, that's who he is. Or, you know, that's what his work is. So they don't even give the possibility to have someone else be better. 
And I get times are different now. People don't write things like they used to. You can write one or two plays now and retire. I mean, let's be real. Lin-Manuel Miranda does not have to write another goddamn thing for the rest of his life. He's set. But, you know, he's an artist. So he's not satisfied with that. I get it. He wants to do more. You do you, Lin. But I just, I think it's unfair. Like, to just constantly shove Shakespeare down people's throats without ever alleviating the possibility that there's better out there. And I know a lot of it's also because they're like, well, it doesn't matter if there's better now. It's all because of him anyway. Maybe. But that doesn't mean that, like, the newer shit ain't better. I mean, more specifically, going into movies, you know, lots of people love that John Wayne True Grit movie. The Coen brothers, tying it into this movie, the Coen brothers, definitively better True Grit movie. Not even close. And it's even better. It's made even just a tad better. Just a smidge better. All right, I'm kind of underselling it. It's made a lot better by the fact that the lead guy in the Coen Brothers Trigger movie didn't, you know, say that, you know, white supremacy is great. Looking at you, John Wayne, you fucking dick. So. Fuck, am I still my recommendation? What the fuck section are we in? I don't know. Yeah, you haven't given it a score yet. <laughs> Fuck me. 75. Spoilers. Okay. Keep going. I don't even know. <laughs> Somebody else talk now because I don't know what the fuck's going on. Literally. We've been apparently recording for about 78 minutes. I can't tell you what's been said. It is just all one long segment. Somebody else fucking talk. I don't even know anymore. Go ahead, Jason. Well, um, well, back to that scene with Catherine Hunter, her first scene as the witch or witches, I guess you could say, man, like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I do some yoga stretching and stuff like that. And I'm pretty proud of how flexible that I am and everything like that. I bend all the way back and all and do a bunch of stuff. But man, some of the bending and contorting that was being done by that witch. I was like, golly, man. I mean, she just looked so that was just so um, unsettling. And she did such a great job of delivering the lines every angle that they captured her from as she was kind of contorting her body and saying different things and stuff like that, like what she was saying. And I guess that's kind of some of the appeal of Shakespearean dialogue is that what they're saying is so like, it's so like poetic and it flows really well what's being said. But at the same time, you know, you've got Catherine Hunter, 
um, <laughs> bending and contorting and looking all scary and lips are cracked from being so dry and like, and there's not a lot of scenery around her. So you really just have to focus on the mannerisms and the movement of the character. And I think she did such a great job. And then whenever she started making like the crow noises and her hand started kind of shaping and started kind of flapping, kind of imitating like how a crow would flap. And then she was kind of walking before she picked up the cloak and grabbed it. And I want to say that whenever she draped herself in that black cloak, there had to have been some special effects because she looked hella taller. Whenever she put that cloak on, she like filled up the, the screen from top to bottom. And I don't know if that was maybe just a visual effect or they kind of made her like grow somewhat in that moment to give it kind of that optical illusion. But it, it, that was really cool, man. So then whenever Macbeth or Denzel and, um, Banquio, Bankuo, whatever. Um, yeah, Bankuo. Whenever they approach her and then in the reflection of the water, you see her there with the cloak, but then you see the other two witches in the reflection of the water. That was really cool. I, I haven't, I don't think I've seen it, the witch done that way. You know, typically I've I've seen, ver I remember versions where you just see the three of them. So I thought that was neat as well. Just what they were doing visually. And I guess like if you're going to rehash some Shakespeare stuff, if you're going to do some old stuff, at least find some fun new ways to produce and tell the the, the classic story. And I think that just those things, just even looking at that scene with Catherine Hunter, who she just, like Heather said, just was amazing in that scene, by the way. But if you're going to redo this story, come up with some fun, interesting ways to tell the story. And I think that this movie definitely did that. And I think that that scene is just one of the scenes that really just sort of encapsulates that. Yeah, no, I, oh, I agree. I guess I could also keep the, going, well, also the scene too, where you, kind of the second time she visits, right? When he's, when Macbeth is sitting there and like, it, yeah, like you said, like it looks like the water is there and he's seeing the vision of the boy and asking questions. And that whole scene was really creative and well done too. So yeah, pretty much any scene that involves her is, is just kind of was a scene stealer situation because I mean, and I think that's the nature of her character is to just bring this mysterious and alluring and, you know, distorting type of thing to it because of, you know, who she's supposed to be. So I agree. I do think that, you know, adding that element of her character and everything she was doing in that was really great, you know, and I also like the fact that she also played that old man that you see that was uh keeping the boy so yeah she, i just everything was great that she did so yeah well no and that's a great point the water scene where like you see the reflection talking in the water then when he put some water in his hands and was looking at it that face was in yeah. the like 
water that he had in his hands and then he sort of dropped it back into the lake and then the face was back in the water. All of that was pretty tight. That was really tight. Yeah, and just to go back to what you were talking about earlier with the old woman at, at the beginning and stuff, putting on the cloak, I think that that was done with computers, but you can also do that with camera angles to change the perspective to make her taller. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of the entirety of how they shot Lord of the Rings. Like with to, oh, to have yeah. the hobbits be smaller than the people. They did everything through forced mm-hmm. perspective and in, in different sizes and props, you know, and changing the aspect of where things should be in a house to just make them look smaller and stuff or taller and people look taller and stuff. So you could, they could have done that with her just change the camera perspective, like the, the, the angle a little bit just to make her perceived taller or they could have just done it with the fucking computer. Cause you know, it's 2022. Um, Oh fuck. I was going to bring something up and Oh, I want to give a special shout out to one of the guys that's, uh, was one of the murderers, you know, that killed his his friend on his request. Uh, that was one of them. Was the the tall one, the big one? That was uh, Shao Kahn from Mortal Kombat Annihilation. I want to give a shout out to him from going. Oh, oh really? really? Going from <laughs> Mortal Kombat Annihilation to a Coen Brothers movie. Kudos to you, bro. You're <laughs> moving, moving up, up in the world. You know, it's like twenty some years later, whatever. But still, you're moving up. Congrats. Anyway, somebody else talk again. Okay. And then um, I know that earlier, um, Heather, you were talking about Francis McDormand in this. And I think that you're right because Lady Macbeth in this Macbeth story is very, very important, like, to, to this story. Because Lady Macbeth, in my opinion, and I don't know, maybe y'all think differently, but she's supposed to be even more ruthless than Macbeth. That's kind of the one Mm -hmm. thing that, you know, whenever he, because he's so consumed with guilt that he's not really sure, um, you know, about this prophecy and he has these fears and everything. And he's like, what should I do? And Lady Macbeth is kind of supposed to be that wife that just, is like that that convinces him to um she's even more ruthless she sees the advantages that they would have of him being the ruler of the kingdom and actually being the king and ruling over all these kingdoms as she Almost sees the mastermind yeah yeah and she sort of masterminds it and leads him along and everything like that so it is very important that you have the right actress to portray that and play that because before that descent into madness, you do have to get the idea that lady Macbeth is just really like willing this along. Like the moment she gets that letter and she finds out about this prophecy and that even a shred of this prophecy came true. She's like the ultimate opportunist. She saw, she saw the opportunity and she latches onto it. And even when Macbeth has doubts, she overcomes his objections and uh, in order to get this thing done. So I think that um, 
Francis did a really good job of that. And then whenever she starts to descend into madness and, and, and Francis, I think, you know, maybe you could even argue if you're going to be super critical about it. Maybe you could argue that she didn't seem as I guess you could say as maniacal. I, I've seen some Lady Macbeth portrayals that are a little more maniacal at the beginning. And you could argue maybe Francis didn't tap into that um, towards the beginning of Lady Macbeth. But where I think she excelled was what you were talking about, Heather. The descent into madness. Oh, man, she 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 really excelled at that, like Francis McDormand. And I guess that's like the interesting thing about this. Like if you've seen this a number of times, you can almost kind of um, compare how different actresses or how or different ways that that um, actors and actresses portray these characters. And I think that like where Frances McDormand was her strongest was whenever she started the sleepwalking episodes and, you know, the whole um, analogy of these hands that I can't seem to clean, these bloody hands that I can't seem to wash and everything like that. And that scene where she just wails, she looks at her hands and the the proverbial I can't ever clean them from what the, from these things that I've done just that guilt and that wail that she does I mean she really brought it in the I'm descending into madness scene so I just thought that I would point that out at least that's how I saw her overall performance as Lady Macbeth in this. Well, the interesting thing about that scene too that I really enjoyed because it was quite chilling in a way was like how it's basically, you know, I mean, she's it's kind of what sleepwalking or talking in her sleep is what it's supposed to be. Right. Where she's just going around and she's, it's kind of like she's mm-hmm. talking to herself, but um, it's almost like she wants them to either know she's going insane or make them think she's insane. Like when she's going back up the stairs and then she's just straight out looks at them and she says like off to bed or whatever she says that scene was awesome. You know what I mean? But it was, it's just interesting because it makes you think like, okay, what's behind that? Like there's, there's more to this. Does she just, does she want them to know that she knows they think she's crazy or does she just want them to know, like, I'm not actually crazy. I'm telling you these things because I want you to know, but I'm not crazy. Like, it's just the, the choice that was made for that was really interesting to me to do that and to straight look at them when she says that as if it's like they're talking as if they think she doesn't know they're there, but she's letting them know like, no, I see you kind of thing. So it just was interesting. And maybe that's not what they were doing, but it was just a cool choice because it makes you think about like, what was, what was behind that? Like what's, what's she really up to or what is she really thinking? Um, you know, with all of this, going mad you know what I mean yeah yeah um yeah yeah that scene where she looks down at them and says that yeah that was definitely one where I double taked it and was like oh wait a second was that um something that she was doing on purpose or was she still are we still like in the trance and everything um and sleepwalking and everything So, yeah, like the, the, there was definitely some stuff in there. And I guess really 
whether she was actually asleep or not. I mean, you know, like you hear stories all the time with just um, psychological stories, especially like if you like crime stories and stuff where, you know, you got these people and they commit these crimes or they commit murders or whatever the case may be. And it's almost like they're just overcome with this guilt. And there's this want to tell it to someone, you know, that they usually wind up telling it to someone because it is so hard to just keep secrets like that on the inside and live, you know, like you see that a lot just in true crime stories, forensic files, like I'm sure there's some law and order stuff is touched on that. You know, you will have this criminal that does all these horrible things. And maybe the the one person that knows is the girlfriend or there's one family member that knows and they didn't tell for years. But finally, they couldn't stomach it. And then they had to tell someone. And I don't know. I always felt like with Lady Macbeth, especially with the sleepwalking and all of that kind of stuff, it was almost like it was her way of saying it out loud, kind of relieving some of that guilt and that stress that would have had to have been there trying to hold in those things and then still be like a queen and run this kingdom and act like on the outside, everything's okay. But you've got these horrible, dark secrets that you're hiding. So I don't know. I always felt like that was, you know, she couldn't do it. She couldn't tell anybody about this. She couldn't share this with anybody but Macbeth, who himself was also going mad. So then it, I'm sure it came to a point to where you couldn't really talk to him either because some of this stuff was just too hurtful to talk about. So it was almost like this sad thing that even her dreams were consumed by the guilt. And, you know, it kind of just plays into that tragedy of it all, you know, or at least that's how I see the Lady Macbeth character. Yep, that makes sense. I mean, I think, I don't know, I I think there was just something really in, intriguing in general, just about the way that Francis McDormand would deliver the lines. Like, it, it almost felt just so natural that I mean, they all obviously were really great in, you know, the dialogue and the things they were saying, but something about the way she did it, it was like, you would almost believe she actually just talks like that. <laughs> like she wasn't having to learn a script. Like it was just kind of like, it just <laughs> came so naturally for her to just say it the way she said it. And it, you know, like her mannerisms with it and her emotions with it, you just, for me, she was the one that I felt like I, I understood her or I understood her feeling or her motives a little bit more than anybody else's because she was so much more dynamic in my opinion with how she did her lines. But, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's Frances McDormand. So like, she's going to be amazing. And with, you know, with Denzel, he's, I mean, the conviction in what he says is so great every time. Like he commands mm-hmm. your attention when he speaks, right? Like that's just the power of his talent and his acting ability is he's just commanding you to pay attention to him and listen to what he's saying. And the, the whole, the scenes where he's like doing this kind of like soft spoken and like whispering type of, you know, thing with it. 
I was just kind of like, huh, okay, interesting choice. But I mean, it's still, even in those soft moments, he's commanding you to pay attention to him. And <laughs> I did appreciate that. But, um, and then, you know, when he does his, I'm angry and I want you to know I'm angry. Like he's always been very good at that. Right. Um, but I guess like, I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like there wasn't enough. I, I feel like his character was not as developed as the other ones that are in this story. Um, you know what I mean? Like it just, it feels like all the surrounding characters, it, it feels like it's a little bit more about them in the sense of like what they're going to do surrounding what Macbeth is wanting them to do or what Macbeth is paranoid about happening. Like it almost just feels like it's surrounded by the people around him and their actions more than it is necessarily solely focused on him the entire movie, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, just yeah, like with kind him, of the way the play oh, go is. Ahead. Like that's just kind of how the play is with it. It's kind of a lot how Shakespeare okay. is. Okay. Like with a lot of stuff with Shakespeare, I've found at least from what I remember of Shakespeare and stuff like that. Yeah, you have your main characters. Like in this, you're Macbeth or your Hamlet or say your Romeo and Juliet. But the most interesting characters always tend to be everybody else. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, like that's. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, and that's that's just kind of how Shakespearean stories to me have always played out. Like, well, like Hamlet is a very interesting character and stuff like that. You kind of get even more with it with his uncle and having killed his own brother and then taken the crown and his mother who may or may not have helped with that, but then, but then married the brother and then Ophelia like killing herself because of, of what Hamlet's putting her through and his obsession with his father and the ghost of his father and all this other stuff. Those characters are just way more interesting. Yeah. Like in, in Romeo and Juliet, like all of the other family members are infinitely more interesting. Like what's his name? Uh, Mercu- Mercutio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's the other yeah. one? The other like cousin character from the other side. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, they're both just infinitely more interesting. Like those characters are like the ones you kind of, I don't want to say root for, but invest in versus something like, you know, the actual Romeo and Juliet. Like, because to me, the, the main characters in this stuff, uh, in these, uh, Shakespearean stories, they're very straightforward. Like Macbeth, it's, uh, you know, he hears the prophecy, he becomes obsessed with the prophecy, he fulfills the prophecy. You know, Hamlet, it's just straight revenge. Romeo and Juliet, they fall in love. Like, they just have very straightforward stories. Everyone else around them is what, it's because they all deal with the actual consequences mm-hmm. of the main characters, that they're just more interesting. 
And I was thinking of Tybalt. Yeah. Tybalt and Mercutio tend yeah. to be characters that are way more interesting in Romeo and Juliet than, you know, Romeo and Juliet. That's 100% what it is. I agree because, yeah, they're dealing with the fallout. They're dealing with the either we got to fix this mess or prevent this mess or whatever it is. Yeah, they're it's the the people around them are the ones that are dealing with all of that more so than the main characters. Like it's like a reaction to what what's going on with the main character. So I agree with that. Any more thoughts, guys? Oh. We got kind of quiet. <laughs> oh, I was just, I don't know how I thought. This one is formatted so differently because like we all are like, yeah, you can't spoil anything. So it's pretty much just like talking about like what happens in it. You know, it's just an interesting spoiler section because there's not really a format because there's nothing to spoil and talk about spoiling that the other person isn't going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I just thought that I, I just thought more was coming and then it didn't. And I was like, oh, crap, I guess I could have jumped in. I just wanted to say a little more about Denzel Washington. Well, the, the interesting thing to me about this is that I've just never seen him, you know, like him delivering. I just never pictured him delivering this kind of dialogue and being in this kind mm-hmm. of movie. So for me, it was quite refreshing seeing him as something like this, you know? And yeah, every now and then, you know, you you get the, you get the Denzel Washington voice and some of his mannerisms and just his (laughs) diction with how he talks and everything like that. Some of that definitely comes out in this, but there were really times like where the character is yelling about something or like whenever he kind of starts going mad and is, you know, um, you know, he's running across a room and somebody's trying to talk to him and he's yelling and trying to tell somebody to do something like there were definitely some times where I was like, man, this is some of the more nuanced acting I've seen him do. You know, it didn't feel like one of those roles because, you know, sometimes, you know, when when Denzel does a role, there are those times where it's just like the you could tell that the directors and people were like, just be Denzel. just do Denzel it's Washington catered to stuff. Him. Yeah. Yeah. You mean like just the Denzel the it up. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Kind of right. like that. Kind of like that. To me, this was nothing like that. Like he was delivering the dialogue. It sounded natural even for him. He he was able to portray just every emotion and still kind of deliver that Shakespearean dialogue, which I mean, I don't know, maybe for them that they're they're great actors. They've made millions of dollars. They've got tons of experience. Maybe for them, that's not difficult. But I just feel like for me, man, I would have to read the script. I would have to then make sure I understood everything that was being said by the characters. And then I would have to then say it, but at the same time, portray those emotions. I just think it would be harder than just reading like a Marvel script and, you know, doing that that or. Yeah. 
If you think about it, if they go to an acting school, what are you doing most of the time in acting school, even today? You're doing yeah, you're probably monologues and in, in, in plays. All yeah, you're probably doing some Shakespeare. Yeah, you know, it's all up in there. So, yeah, maybe it's something they're accustomed to. But to me, it just and I don't know, maybe we're just so far, you know, we don't get this very often. So maybe for me, it feels like it would be more difficult for them. But but you're right. I mean, maybe that's just an oversight that they, they probably all be yeah. all up into Shakespeare. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I mean, and don't get me wrong, like. Denzel brought it he always does like he's fantastic and he's there's like he's great as Macbeth I think it's just for me it was just the the way the characters are fleshed out and written at least in the film is it it just felt like the other characters had a lot more going on a lot more dynamics happening um than Macbeth was um so but there's absolutely like no complaints about Denzel's performance. Like he was phenomenal for sure. Um, you know, I think it was just more his character. I guess maybe I, I just was maybe I was just expecting that there would be a lot more of seeing sort of how we did with Lady Macbeth, where you see her slowly kind of going mad. Um, I guess maybe I thought they would do a little bit more of that, but again, it's not any fault of Denzel. Like, I think it was just how the, like kind of like what Sterling was saying is just how it was written. Um, but I will say, I think like one of my favorite scenes like of the whole thing was the ending when it's the sword fight between Macbeth and Macduff. I think that was fantastic and so well done. And the, yeah. you, just their, their conversation that they're having and just how cool it looks. And like the, I just, I love how, you know, when Macbeth gets his head, you know, cut off with the sword like you barely see it but man it looks cool how they do it <laughs> and then just like the whole you know panning away and panning to this like his crown being thrown and falling to the ground of just like this you know metaphor of like you know he's fallen and he's done you know i i loved how they did that i thought that was really cool um but yeah i just they had some just some very excellent things like and I love the 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 scenes when they were out and it was basically just like the one door, you know, or the the one area where there was nothing but like the one set piece, basically, you know, and but just how cool that looked and how like haunting it really was. And and that's what I meant earlier when I was talking about, like, it's so like simplistic with the sets of what they're doing um when they're filming but just so very dynamic with how they shoot things and it's just like yeah sterling said it right like it's a flawlessly made film (laughs) like the way it's shot is so perfect and like it just it should win all the things (laughs) as far as like cinematography and whatever like it's just so fantastic and beautiful and if there's anything as much as the performances are so great in this movie, the one thing I'm going to most remember about this movie is just how beautiful it looks. Yeah. And back to that sword fighting scene, I think that 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 was the cool thing about it. Like every scene in this just feels like it definitely feels like there's some depth, 
But when you think about what was on the screen, that wasn't necessarily always the case. Like, I love the opening scene where it's almost like people are coming through fog or smoke or whatever, and they're appearing before the king and talking to him. Even that was just neat, how they would just like walk up. And it was like, almost like characters were appearing or they were walking onto a stage. You know what I mean? Like, it just was so good about not having everything on the screen. And like, even through that, even in that scene at the end, back to the end scene with the sword fight, um, with him and McDuff, like, you know, there was a war going on, you know, there were other soldiers fighting. This was a siege on this castle, but I love how they didn't feel the need to show all of these other people fighting or, all of these other um, nights and stuff like that, you know, you you couldn't see while Denzel and um, um, the, the other character were fighting. You know, it wasn't like the it was the screen would pan out and you could see all these other little fights taking place or anything like that. I love how it was just they were just up there on that bridge or that piece or that out outer piece of the castle wherever they were like I like how it was just that and then they didn't there wasn't too many details surrounding them you know you could just see that part of the castle and that's all you could see and then you could really just focus on the fighting that they were doing and it was just artistic choices like that are made constantly in the film and it just gives every shot damn near just a picturesque memorable quality so yeah i i I too thought that that was a very well done scene and yeah i loved how even in that fight the way that he lost like he was so focused on that crown you know that crown dropped you know but just the the focus on keeping the crown and worrying about that and just being consumed by being this king and just kind of forgetting who you are or any of the things that you really need to survive, like camaraderie and having people you can trust. And I don't know, just not being a horrible person, like just the, the, I love how in, in that moment, the, in the fight, having the crown, securing the crown took precedence over even his well-being, you know, his guard or his awareness in that fight and it cost him. So I think that was just great how that was done. It it was like the perfect way to end things for Macbeth uh, story-wise. And it was just right in line with everything we had seen up to that point. So yeah, I really thought that that was a great uh, scene as well. Yeah. Am I the only one that kind of wish this movie was a little bit more violent? I wish there was <laughs> more blood. No, it wouldn't have been bad. I don't think. I don't know. I just think because like Maybe I was just expecting that because like some of the, the advertisements I saw for this movie said that it was like a, I think they, they use the words like brutal and stuff like that in the blurbs that they would use for the, you know, like Steve from the Los Angeles Times says 
it's a brutal new take on Macbeth or whatever. Something like that. You know what I mean? I just thought it was going to be more violent than it was. And it made me sad. Yeah, I mean, and they, they could have done some cool stuff with it just because of the way everything was shot anyway. The violent scenes would have been just really artistic and cool. I don't know. I just don't feel like I have anything to add anymore to this episode. Because I <laughs> I went off the rails earlier. So I just don't <laughs> in your pre in your pre spoiler section. <laughs> well, it was the it was in the non spoilers and in the recommendations and scores. I was like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm just going. So I think I already said all my shit. So it's just been fun listening to you guys talk instead of me. Contrary to what I have. I don't talk just to hear my own voice all the time. Just most of the time. (laughs) Well, I don't think I have anything either. I think that was it for me. Well, that's good. See? There we go. I knew it. I felt it. Uh, so thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook where Cinema Slayers podcast. Twitter where we're uh, cinema underscore slayers. Twitter and Instagram. I'm sorry. Twitter and Instagram where we're cinema underscore slayers or Cinema Slayers pod on uh, TikTok. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. Really help us out. Shout out to Plug Bingo and Mundo Choa for our theme song and logos, respectively. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends, family, tell your family's friends. Most of all, tell your dear sweet mothers. At least if they're mothers that are not like Lady Macbeth. Don't tell those mothers. Because they might try to kill Sterling. But if they're like Lady Macduff, Macduff, tell them she seemed like a cool mom before she got murdered. So, yeah, if your mom's like that, tell them. Uh, and as I always in the podcast and the TikToks, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows anything but you. Cinema Slayers. Now that you're gone, you know the sun don't shine from the city hall to the county line. And that's why ain't no love in the heart of the city. Ain't no love in the heart of town. Ain't no love. Okay, I'm done. Was that the same song you sang earlier? Yeah. Okay. It sounded more familiar that time as opposed to the Maybe last time. Maybe you kind of remember it? the hook. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe I, it's because it was the hook. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'll look it up. I won't. That's a lie. Why the fuck did I say I would? I'm not going <laughs> to. So, let's be real. Um, Heather, what else do you have to say? 
I just I feel like we have like an hour and five minutes to fill since, you know. <laughs> it's so much earlier we, than normal. How are we ending a podcast in a mere two hours? Right? <laughs> I mean, no, I got nothing other than the soundtrack of Encanto has been in my head all week because I rewatched it. So that's all I got. How many times have you watched Encanto, Heather? Uh, this was my second time. What about you, Justin? How many times have you watched it? Because it is on Disney+. Plus. You know what? I need to go back and watch that. I was thinking about watching it because an article about Louisa popped up and I shared it. It made me think about it. And apparently that, that song, Don't Talk About Bruno, is a hit or something. They're saying like it's the new Let It Go, basically. For like these Disney movies and stuff oh, yeah, like that, so like catchy. they're saying, yeah, they're saying it's like super popular, apparently. Just like the Moana song, too. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, we don't talk about Bruno is definitely like the big song from this one. It's all over Which the Which is TikTok. crazy because they're all great. They're all great songs, but it's, we don't talk about Bruno is probably the catchiest song. <laughs> it's so catchy. Yeah, I've watched Encanto five fucking times. Have you really? Yeah. Wow. Nice. Because it's not that long. You can just throw it on. Like, yeah, ever since it came on Disney Plus, I've watched it like, yeah, four times. And you do catch something different like every time. Like I uh, noticed in the background this time during the We Don't Talk About Bruno song that Bruno is like, you could see him walking in the background. Um, through the song, which I didn't notice before, so that was cool. He's in the background in a few, few of the stuff. Anytime they're singing about the family and stuff like that, he is in the background every once in a while. So. Which is clever. That's cool. And I guess what's also kind of clever about that song is that most of the time when there's a villain song or a song about somebody who's supposed to be bad or supposed to be the villain, a lot of times it's the villain kind of talking about themselves or kind of affirming what other characters are saying about them. But it's just cool that this was a whole song where it was other people singing about him and how they thought of him. But really, you find out that that was really no idea of what the character actually thought about himself. So that also makes that song kind of unique to Disney songs. No, that's true. That's true. All right, I'm out.